Good morning. Today we're continuing our teaching series entitled Free to Be, where we've been walking through the New Testament book of Galatians. Now that word free really is the theme of this entire book. You'll recall that Paul wrote these words to a group of early Christians, early Christians who were being told that faith in Jesus just wasn't enough, that there was a series of customs they had to adopt, rules they had to follow, and theology they needed to grasp in order to truly be part of God's forgiven family. And they were buying into that message. And so Paul writes them. He writes them panicked in, in all caps, using every angry emoji he can to get their attention. And he says in this letter, no, don't, don't believe that message. That's a false message. Don't drink that Kool-Aid. Faith in Christ is enough. You are free. And in chapter 4, in the words that we'll walk through today, Paul reminds them, he reminds us of just how free, just how blessed we are, apart from anything we bring to the table. And here's why this is an important reminder for you right now. Every day you struggle to live in freedom and with joy. Every single day you are being lured into and tempted toward the same lie, a lie that says you must do more, you must be more in order to have what matters most. And that lie robs you of peace it fills you with anxiety. It, it does a number on your relationships. And it pulls you. It pulls you from the better life of peace and joy that Jesus has already won for you and given to you. Now, you might be thinking, uh, okay, Matt, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but, but like no one is lying to me. I mean, I've been listening the previous weeks in this series. I get that in Paul's day, there were people like actually going around preaching a false message, but but no one's whispering in my ear, no one's sending me texts saying, try harder or you're going to hell. And you're right, that's probably not happening. <laughs> but it doesn't have to. Because this is my first point. We lie to ourselves. One of the ways that sin rears its ugly head is that whenever we are confronted with the law, we lie to ourselves. Now, what I mean by the law are the expectations, the innumerable and unavoidable mountain of expectations uh, that come with life. That's the law. All the things that, that must be done. Uh, there are laws, expectations that, that come from God. Love your neighbor, love God, hate the cowboys. There are laws, expectations in our relationships. Uh, be an attentive dad, date your spouse, text your best friend on his birthday. There are laws and expectations in our careers. Meet the quarterly sales goals, crush the annual review. There are laws and expectations that come from culture. Stay fit, stay woke, and look great in the process. Uh, the list could go on and on. Expectations abound. And the heart of a sinner is such that when we hear the law, when we hear these expectations, we don't just say, okay, cool, got it, I'll try. Instead, we say, well, well, that's what I must do. It's what I have to do in order to be happy, in order to be whole, in order to be good, in order to be enough. And that idea, that thought, that mindset, Paul says, is utter slavery. Why? Because you can never do enough. 
If you insist on, on living underneath the pressure of the law, of all these expectations, and trying to meet them, what you'll find is that you'll never be enough. You'll never be enough for God, for others, for the world. You'll never arrive at the end. You'll never cross the finish line. You'll just keep grinding forever like a slave. Confession time. How many of you are tired? How many are anxious? How many have zero left in the tank? I know there's a lot of factors that go into feeling that way, but, but maybe part of the problem is that you've been buying the lie that lurks in our hearts. And if that's you, like it so often is me, I can't help but think of these words from chapter 3. Paul writes in Galatians 3, verse 10, he says, All those who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now remember, the really good news is that it doesn't have to be this way. Uh, this is where Jesus comes in. Let's look at Galatians 4 now, starting at verse 4. Paul says this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Christ has come and freed you from the burden you feel when faced with life's expectations. Not only that, but because of Christ, you are given a new status. You are a son of the Father. You are a daughter of the Father. You're a child of God with all the perks that that implies. When Christ was born, he took on flesh and he became like one of us. He was born underneath the same expectations. Hear that. Jesus Christ entered this world and he was born underneath the same expectations that you're under. All of them. The family stuff, the cultural stuff, the spiritual stuff. But here's the difference. He met every expectation. You can't, but he did, which then allowed him to look at the father and say, it's finished. I've kept all the law, but there's more. He was then punished and killed as though he failed under the weight of the law, as though he was weak like us and, and deserving of judgment for failure like us. But then he rose proving that the curse was broken, that the whole system had been conquered. And then what happens is that through faith, through faith in him, he gives all of it, everything that he's accomplished, he gives it all to you and to me. We get the approval that he earned through his obedience. We get the forgiveness that he paid for in his death. We get the life over death that he demonstrated on Easter. We even get his status. We receive his status as a son of the Father. He did it all, and we receive it all through faith alone. And, and here's the thing to latch on to. Hear me on this. Approved and forgiven sons and daughters of God don't have to sing for their supper. They don't have to prove that they're worthy of love. They don't have to earn acceptance on the backs of their performance at work, at home, in the world whatsoever. If what Jesus did is now yours, then you are free. Everything you think you're earning through all that effort, all that obedience, all that law-keeping is already yours through Jesus Christ. You've already got it. 
Now, to make his point as clear and as meaningful as possible, Paul reintroduces a metaphor that he's used earlier in the letter. He begins to speak of adoption. Several years ago, Lisa and I got to witness the formal adoption of, of three siblings into a new home. We gathered in the courtroom, and the judge brought the adoptive parents and the siblings forward, and he explained the gravity of what he was about to do, the permanence of it, and he commended the parents for the great sacrifices they'd made to make it all possible. And then he asked those adoptive parents, he asked them, are you choosing today to love these children, to, to care for these children as your own until the day that you die? And they said, yes, yes, we are. And then he said, and so they are. They are yours. And he dropped his gavel, and it was done. Just like that, these, these three kids had a whole new family, and the courtroom erupted in cheers and tears of joy. It was amazing. Here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying that that is what's happened to you. God the Father adopted you. Jesus Christ paid the entire tremendous cost for you. You didn't have to win over this new family or, or negotiate your entrance into this family. And how well you obey won't affect your place in this family. No, no, no. God saw you. God, God paid the price for you. He chose you. And then he gives all the benefits of being family to you. And trust me, being a son or daughter of God is infinitely better than being a slave to expectations. Actually, Paul dives into some of the perks of being a son rather than a slave. Uh, listen to this. Continuing in chapter 4 now, Paul says this. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Paul says that because we've been adopted into this family, we get three things. We get access that only kids get. We get assurance based on our identity, and we get security because of our future. When I say access, I mean the kind of access to the Father that only one of his children, his own children, would get. I, I once ran into Martin Scorsese. I did, the Oscar-winning director, it's true. He, he was shooting a movie, and I was walking down the street, and I looked up, and there he was, right in front of me. So I, so I stuck out my hand, and I shook his hand, and I introduced myself, and I told him that I loved Taxi Driver and all these other movies. And I must have seemed a little strange and aggressive, because after about 15 minutes, uh, a very large man came over and told me to, to move my access somewhere else. This is not like that. Paul says that you get to call God Abba, which in, in, in the ancient world, in, in, in Aramaic, was was a playful and intimate word. It's the equivalent of daddy. And like any good dad, when his kid comes running, yelling his name, he gets down on your level, he pulls you close, and he gives you his full attention. Good dads give their whole self to their kids. That's what you have. You also get assurance. Paul says you are a son, and you get to own that family status. That's meant to comfort you and embolden you in a healthy family, you don't have to wonder whether or not you belong. In a healthy family, you never have to wonder whether or not there's going to be a place for you at the dinner table that night. No. 
there will be a place for you because you're a son. And then he uses the word heir. All that the father has will one day become yours. When my grandfather passed away, my, my father, my dad got an inheritance of sorts. It wasn't money, it was, it was a barn. An entire barn full of my grandfather's stuff. 85 years of tools and trinkets and, and to be honest, some trash. And all of it suddenly belonged to my dad. Just last week I got to visit my folks and my dad has since sifted through the barn, pulling out lots of little treasures. Uh, some antique tools, uh, Popovitz family artifacts, cool little pieces, each with their own story. And he's taken the best of these things that he's found and he's placed them all around his barn. Yes, my dad has one too. And to see it and to see his pride in it is, is beautiful and, and meaningful. He loves what his father has left him. What belongs to the father becomes the son's. That's what makes you an heir. God has something even greater in his possession to give you than old tools and family trinkets. He has a kingdom, a kingdom that will become ours when, when Christ returns and all of this passes away. And that promise, that confidence that you are an heir is meant to give you a peace-filled perspective. You have access. You have assurance of your status. You are an heir of a coming kingdom. What else do you need? Everything you could possibly need, truly need, truly, is already yours in Jesus Christ. Now, now the question becomes, what can we do to stay grounded in that, to stay focused on that? Like, what could we do to, to keep ourselves from, from buying too much into the lie that says, we've got to do, we've got to meet the expectations, we've got we've to keep the full law or else we die? Well, I think it comes down to at least two things. First, just be really honest with yourself. In what area of life, what aspect of life are you most tempted to live like a slave? I mean, maybe for you it's your career. You aim to be an excellent pipeline engineer, and so you slave away at the office. You rationalize being away from the kids, maybe a little more than you need to, or, or constantly tapping on your phone. And when you get accolades from your supervisor, you have all the peace in the world. But when a project gets stuck, you feel like a worthless human being. You're in your own personal hell, which just drives you to double down and try harder. Or, or maybe it's not your career. Do you know what it is for a growing number of people? Health and fitness. Getting to the gym or, or firing up the Beachbody app and posting your progress on Instagram is everything to a lot of people, and maybe you. And if that's the case, then, then truth be told, maybe it's, maybe it's about more than staying in shape for you. It's, it's about something deeper. It's about being enough, being good, being whole. For others, it's political engagement. And man, we see this a lot right now. Some are a slave to it. We're getting a form of rightness and enoughness from it. Whether you're Mr. Maga Hat or a woke warrior, you, you love the feeling of scoring points against those who disagree and, and posting memes to prove your point of view. And if that's you, then, then be honest. It's about more than being a good citizen. It's about being good. It's about proving you're right. It's about an identity. It's slavery. In what area of life are you tempted to make the expectations, the doing, the performing, the expressing, your everything? 
And who can you ask, who can you invite to hold you accountable? To whom can you give permission to say, look, man, I know you're all about this one thing, but, but you got to ease up on this. you got to dial it back just a little bit. Once you've pinpointed what that thing is for you, what that part of life is for you, uh, I want you to hear this plea from Paul in verse 9. He says this, Now that you have come to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? How can you turn back? Moment of full disclosure. For me, I, I'm incredibly tempted to buy this lie when it comes to my work. I'm tempted to make my work, yes, even my, my pastoral work, my functional savior. The expectations, the demands, they, they speak to me, and I buy the lie. I, I, I tell myself I have to meet them, I have to exceed them, and if I don't, I will suffer, and I'll die, and I'll go without something I desperately need, which of course isn't true. I know better, I teach better, but that doesn't matter. My heart loves the lie of the law too, and I dive in, and thank God I married an incredible woman. I've asked her to help me with this. The other day, the other day she made me lunch and she put a note in the lunch like, like I was a fourth grader. And, and this is what it says. It says, Matt, your work matters, but you are not your work. We love you just for you. And, and do you know what that is? That's not just a note from a spouse. That's, that's an embodiment, an expression of the gospel. Be honest with yourself. The second thing, I think we have to fill our life with meaningful reminders, meaningful reminders that, that you're a son, that you're a daughter of God with all that that implies and not just a servant of the expectations of others. Now, you might think this is foolish, but... But I'll say it anyway. Some of you are really good at making to-do lists, writing down all the stuff you need to accomplish in order to be effective and faithful. And that's great. But, but what if you took some of the same intentionality at the start of the day and you listed out not just what needed to be done, but what was already finished? And I'm talking big things, like spiritual things. Uh, what if you made an it's done list? I am, I am loved by God, done. My future is secure, done. My mistakes don't own me, done. Productivity doesn't justify me, done. You need a reminder. This is, by the way, why followers of Jesus began the practice of, of crossing themselves. It wasn't to send a message to others of how holy we were. No, it was, it was a personal reminder. It's a reminder of your baptism. You were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so we cross ourselves in that same name. It's a way of saying, I am a child of God. It's also why worship, corporate worship together in the same building is important. I can't wait for us to get back into this place as one. Public worship is a chance for us to be reminded together of whose we are and what we already have. It's an opportunity for us to collectively reject the lie that we are what we do or that accomplishing is everything. And some of us really need to come back. We need the reminder that comes from corporate worship because this pandemic has robbed some of us of every ounce of peace that we've had because it's laid a ton of new pressures on us. Everything from masks to figuring out school for the kids and how to succeed at work while in your pajamas on Zoom. 
You need these reminders. Fill your life with reminders of whose you are and what you already have and how you are free from the law. M. Craig Barnes is a pastor and an author. He tells the story of how his father, when Craig was a child, brought home a 12-year-old boy named Roger, whose parents had died from drug overdose. Roger was 12, and Roger was alone. And so Craig's parents took him in, and at first it was very difficult for the 12-year-old. He was used to fighting and surviving and fending for himself. I mean, that's what he'd had to do. But several times a day, Craig recalls, he would hear his parents saying to the boy, no, no, that's not needed in this family. You you don't have to fight. You, You don't have to yell. You don't have to hurt someone to get something. In time, and it took time, the young boy began to change. His his guard came down. His his fears faded. His impulse to fend for himself, save himself at all costs, it it eased, it waned. And and Craig makes the point. He, He asks the question, did the boy, did Roger need to change in order to be part of our family? No, not at all. As Craig puts it, he was part of the family by the grace of my father, by the mercy of my parents by grace alone. Now, did he change once he, once he entered the family? Yes. But there was no change required to receive the love. He changed. He freely changed out of gratitude for the love and the blessings, the family he'd been given. Friends, hear me. The, the same is true for us. You do not have to protect yourself, save yourself, prove yourself. There is, there is no need to fend for yourself. That's, that's not necessary in this family. You don't have to do more, fight more, be more in order to have what matters, in order to be loved. You have it. You are loved. You do belong because in Christ, you have been adopted. You are a son you are a daughter, you are free. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, the expectations of this world are innumerable, and and they come at us from from every direction, and, and, and certainly so many of them are good. But Father, the the lure, uh, the lie in our hearts is to make these good expectations our God, to make them some means to wholeness and happiness that really and truly only comes from you and has already been given to us in Jesus Christ. Father, we want to live in greater freedom. Open up our hearts and minds to understand to a deeper level the freedom that we already have in Jesus Christ and the gifts that we've already been given. Help us to take heart in the fact that we have access to you and we can call you not just Father, but Abba. We can call you Dad. Help us to rejoice in the fact that we are sons and daughters and that that gives peace to us and it emboldens us. Remind us of the inheritance that is coming to us, that all that you have is becoming ours in the new world. And may that give us a perspective that makes all things seem small. Help us to live with freedom. In Jesus' name, amen.